Hey there, it's time once again to belly up to the microphone, and I have quite the belly to do it, and bring you another fantastic episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News. My name is Jason Luber. And I am Denver 7's own pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. Jason, great to be back in the smallest studio in America. Yes, it is. It could actually be a little bit smaller. Um, We're not touching, which is actually a good thing, but we're very close. Very close. We could smell each other. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? (laughs) Well, we're recording this just before the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that is going to be a very busy travel weekend, obviously. They're saying with the economy and gas prices uh, that there's going to be a lot of people out there and uh, hitting the roads. You know, and it's funny because when you talk about gas prices, I think for some people, they had planned a road trip this summer far enough in advance that they're still going to go through with their plans. But this might be the last one they take for a while because the prices keep going up. You know, it's harder and harder to take a summer vacation when you have to budget for gas and you can't go a very long distance because it's going to cost you too much. You can in the Volt. Well. Get 45 miles a gallon in that thing. Let me pack my four children in the Volt. <laughs> no, you can't do that. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. But you're right. The gas prices are going up. But we also want to pass along our gratitude to all the service members out there as we take some time to remember all the sacrifices of our nation's heroes. You know, it's also a time for people to get together, uh, friends to gather, that sort of thing. Also, it's a time for sales, for towels and sheets. All with the American flag on them or camouflage in honor of our service members. And to your point, uh, we thank all of them for their service. And and as, as everybody gets together, typically they like to celebrate. They like to celebrate with food and they also like to celebrate with booze and lots of it. And when lots of booze is consumed, people do, well, they tend to do some stupid things. Big mistakes. Yes. And this tends to be one of the deadliest holiday weekends. Of all the holiday weekends uh, that we see, this and 4th of July and St. Patrick's Day weekend, uh, especially a lot of DUIs. So, look, we here, here's the deal. Here's the real deal. We need all the listeners we can get here to the podcast. And, and we want you to be safe because we need you to keep listening because we can't, we can't have our listeners dying off. Correct. We can't have them getting into crashes and doing silly things and dumb things. So, we're imploring you... The loyal podcast listener to stay alive. Yes. Turn around, don't drown. If you live in an urban area, <laughs> call a ride share. If you live in a rural area, take a bicycle or a horse, whichever one's or a more lawn convenient. tractor. Well, I guess you can get a DUI on that, can't you? Correct. Don't take the lawn tractor. Don't take the lawn tractor. And definitely don't engage the drive. <laughs> right? Correct. Anyway, don't do something stupid this weekend. So, Joseph. Okay. Right here in my hand, I have three. Crazy airline stories to start off the show today with. Hot off the presses. I want you to listen to all three, and then I want you to tell me which one you think is the worst of the bunch. Okay. This will not be as easy as you might think. Story number one. You know how it can be extremely frustrating if you miss a flight, but here's no one. There's there's really not a good way to handle it. This is this is really not the best way to handle it. Okay. A 57 year old man in Australia was reportedly furious about missing his flight to Adelaide, so he started yelling at the airline staff. He was so mad, he started smoking right there in the airport and then decided it was a great idea to barge past the staff, barge through the security doors, get onto the tarmac, and running towards an airplane. He then tried to board this airplane that was headed to Sydney. He climbed the stairs, 
Apparently, the plane, though, was empty, thank goodness. He attempted to open the door first by just pulling the handle towards him and then lifting his foot next to the door to give himself a stronger pull. The airport crew rushed in and stopped him. The passenger was not only arrested, he might have gotten a worse punishment than even that. He's banned from flying again with Qantas Airlines ever again. Oh. Story number two. We have a woman who was 20 weeks pregnant and is deaf, and her boyfriend, who was also deaf, were traveling with their service dog. It's a great dame named Zariel. They were on a frontier flight from Colorado Springs to Orlando, and when the plane landed, the dog woke up. It stood up, and a random man that allegedly punched the dog with a closed fist, causing it to yelp. The reason? The man's wife complained of being allergic to dogs. Well, the deaf couple began yelling at the man, who police said reacted by letting, by getting into the man's face, and at some point the man punched the pregnant woman in the stomach. Police said the altercation continued into the terminal. The pregnant woman's boyfriend tackled the 59-year-old man and held him on the ground until police arrived. Police said the case has been turned over to the FBI. Story number three. If you think those stories were worse than this one. A guy in Frontier, he was on a flight from Denver to Charleston. He was seated in the middle seat between two women. He was drinking. And one of the women who was sweet, who was sleeping, she woke up because she says he was touching her. She told him to stop, but when he didn't stop touching her, she screamed right at him and said, if you touch me again, I'll effing kill you. The flight attendant came up and took him out of his seat, then sat him near the back of the airplane where it was more open. They could hopefully keep an eye on him. Well, apparently they didn't keep a close enough eye on him because one of the passengers in the back said the, gay, the guy... After giving a water bottle and been told to buckle his seatbelt that he couldn't find because he was so intoxicated, here comes the worst part. He took off his seatbelt, began urinating on the seat in front of him. I mean. One passenger sitting across from him screamed. It is unclear what happened during the rest of the flight, but when they landed, the police arrested the man, took him off the plane. I would hope the plane was cleaned after that. One would think it was cleaned during the incident as i recall those seats on frontier are plastic so it would have just splashed maybe back at him but the seat cushions are not plastic um they would have absorbed the liquid you've seen the picture correct yes uh it is quite a stream yes well he was really drunk yes he was he had quite to drink and he had to apparently go pretty badly why do they serve double anythings on an airplane how many problems in this world have been caused by booze oh jason all of them that's right a, that's a complicated question <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's time for your vote now joseph okay which which of those three stories are the worst trying to hijack an empty airplane on the runway punching a service dog and a deaf pregnant woman or drunk guy peeing in the seats so i put a lot of thought into these power rankings i'm going to give them to you three to one three the least offensive, one, the most offensive. Uh, number three, trying to hijack a plane. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that I'm one. I'm sorry. It's just if you go on a rampage like that, that's bad, but at least you're only harming yourself. Right. Uh, num number two and number one I had to think a lot about because on the one hand, you have punching a pregnant lady and a dog, and on the other hand, you have a guy pulling out his junk and peeing on a plane. 
so you really have to weigh a lot of things there. And that guy was being a creep. He terrorized several women. But I have to put it at number two because number one pregnant lady getting punched in the stomach is just deplorable, man. Well, and it's not it's it's a deaf pregnant lady, and not only was she punched, so you're also punching the baby. Exactly. Attempted and murder. you're punching a service like, dog. Literally, Jason, that should come with attempted murder charges. <laughs> Seriously. It's it's disgusting. Uh, now, we, we make a lot of fun of the service, not service animals, but the emotional support animals that people are bringing on planes. But when there is an actual person who has disabilities and needs a service animal who is trained for that type of service, we have a woman here uh, who runs our Contact 7 department. Marianne, who who's been training service dogs for years and years, yes. and these are cer- she she goes through and she'll train the dog for a while, and, and some of these dogs don't make it; they just don't have the right temperament. Right, they have to have a perfectly tempered dog, and they go through a lot of training. They aren't just the run of the mill, whatever emotional support bijons like my my dumb brother has. Correct, it, it's it's an actual dog that should not be punched. No, no dog should be punched. You shouldn't punch the dog. Like, just don't punch dogs. And this guy was punching the dog because his wife was allergic to the dog. I. His fist looked small. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. It's just, it, it's fascinating. So he's the worst airline passenger of the week. So far, yes. But the week is young. We have a lot of travelers here this holiday weekend, so we'll see what happens come uh, this time next week, right? Correct. All right, so a car that once was America's top seller is about to die for a second time. The wildly popular Ford Taurus, it's going away. Wildly popular. Wildly popular. I... Oh, it's wildly popular. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, you can't tell me that everybody didn't want to drive a Ford Taurus. <laughs> well, okay, you... I won't. <laughs> you can blame the death of the Taurus on the national obsession with a crossover SUV. Sales of the latest Taurus peaked in 2013 at nearly 80,000 for that entire year. 80,000 vehicles. That That's pretty good. That's a lot of cars. That is a lot of cars. Now Ford is only selling half that many. So they recently announced that it's actually going to stop selling all car models in North America except for two. Ford is only going to be selling now the Mustang and a version of the compact Ford Focus called the Active I mean, this is smart to a certain extent, right? And I'm surprised that more car makers are, like, reducing the number of offerings to only three or four vehicles. Well, that's just cars. They're going to continue to make SUVs and trucks. Right. Well, I mean, how many Ford SUVs are there? There's the Explorer and what else? Well, they're going to have five new SUVs, apparently, uh... and they have all the uh, F-series F whatevers that mm. are still huge sellers for Ford. I look at it like a restaurant menu, right? The more options there are, the more places there are for error the fewer options there are the more you can focus on quality you know trucks and suvs are two-thirds of all new car sales that's crazy isn't it i mean that's the way the world has gone uh buying these crossover deals because people don't want the full-size suv but they don't want a car that's a little bit smaller they want some room like what i have is that rogue um, but that's all my wife has been looking at cars similar to that and that crossover and that's what was at the denver auto show I saw crossover after crossover. That is what the trend is right now. Half of all sales in March of 2013 were SUVs and trucks. Industry experts say, don't be surprised, though, if the Taurus name rises from the ashes again because it's a well-recognized name. Everybody loves the Taurus name as well as the old car, right? That's true. It, it even could be repurposed on a new SUV, and Ford still uses the Taurus name on a different style of car in China. I mean, how often do you get a chance to use an astrological symbol as the name of a car? There's only 12 of them. 
So if you get one, like Taurus, it's a big deal. So you're not driving the Capricorn anywhere around town? <laughs> <laughs> the Sagittarius isn't that big of a Look, car man, yet? I'm a Capricorn, and I know it's the lamest symbol, so I just kind of roll with it every I, year uh, when that time of year rolls around. As am I a Capricorn as well. Have you heard of the term called super commuting? Uh, yes. You have? Yes, sir. That is the term for people who drive a long way from home to work and back again. Not necessarily a long time. Because you're stuck in stop-and-go traffic or your route is usually jammed solid, it is a long distance from, let's say, even town to town where you're living in one place and driving for miles and miles to get to another. For instance, it's not uncommon now for workers headed to New York City to start their commute 90 miles away in Allentown, Pennsylvania. That's insane. I mean, that's insane. That's three hours every day that you were driving. Just about, but you're doing that for a lot of different reasons. They estimate now that... One in about 36 commuters, that's roughly about 2 million people, are these so-called super commuters. They define super commuters as people who travel an average of about two hours per day. And that compares to an average of 26 minutes nationwide. The website called Apartment List that helps people find apartments, they analyze 10 years of census data to find cities with the highest share of long-distance commuters And the results show that most of these people live in communities feeding into three very expensive metro areas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York City. And nearby metro areas had the largest share of super commuters, although the phenomenon was also apparent in places as diverse as El Paso and Northport, Florida. So a lot of people are are living in these smaller towns, like in Allenstown or, or places around there, because it is much less expensive. And it's so much less expensive, it's worth the commuter's time and money to drive that long of a distance into the big city and back again. I always wonder what the threshold is for what makes that worth the money. Because it's so long per day. In my mind, you have to pay yourself for almost a part-time job doing that. Right. Now, for a family guy like me who wants to spend a lot of time with my kids, it, it would not be worth it. Um but for other people, maybe they're single, maybe they're just married. Um, That's true. Single people. <laughs> they, they might want to do that sort of thing because they can just spend all the time on the road. I mean, they're just going to hang around their house or whatever. It's not like they're doing anything else, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's of course really... <laughs> not when you're single. You don't do anything. It's the rising cost of living in these big cities that's really pushing these lower and middle class workers farther away from their jobs. We see that in the mountains where people are pushed away from the resort towns into these smaller little towns where you can actually afford something up there. And some people are using public transit to travel more than 150 miles a day if they can, if if they if they can find it. And if they can't drive, then they'll use the public transportation. Now, the right. cities of Stockton, Modesto, and Sacramento, there in California, they serve San Francisco. Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Allentown, Pennsylvania are housing for New York City's workers. And relatively affordable Riverside is now a bedroom community for Los Angeles. A paper written in 2008 in the Scandinavian Journal of Economics... It's on your coffee table, right? Of course. It found that people with long journeys to and from work are systematically worse off and report significantly lower subjective well-being. They say it is a stress that never pays off. I think, again, for a family man, that might be the case. Agreed. For a single person, it might be stress that does pay off in the long run. 
because they're you typically younger, they're trying to work up the ladder, that sort of thing. Well, and anything that gets you towards homeownership quicker, I think, is the right decision, right? Right. And maybe they're working at getting employment somewhere closer to where they are um, rather than continuing to live more to, and to work into the big cities. Right. So here are the cities with the largest increase of people being super commuters to them in the past 10 years. New York. Los Angeles, San Francisco, all super high cost of living. Right. Washington, D.C., which is surprising because, well, I know it's really costly to live there, but their traffic is also horrendous. Boston, you would know about Boston. Boston, that's accurate, yeah. And Seattle. Seattle is getting so slammed with the Amazon deal. They have so many people working there, and they are telling woes of how it is to have a huge corporation like Amazon. Isn't Nike up there too? Uh, um, I think Nike is por- like in the Portland area. Oh, okay. There's but yeah, no, but Microsoft's no, up in Seattle. Yeah, and uh, there's and something there's else, maybe Eddie Bauer or whatever. Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, all those. Those really huge corporations right. that employ lots and lots of people are up there in Seattle, and they're dealing with tremendous growth and lots of money problems for uh, folks trying to find housing. Well, yeah, for people trying to find housing, but I think the majority of people living in Seattle just have money and few of the problems and a lot of coffee yes denver came in as number 19 on the list but i think we are going to be going up and up and up because a lot of people are moving up into our northern counties eastern counties wyoming up into wyoming we yeah we have that doofus that works here overnight that drives from cheyenne but then again he's got a lot of other problems he is a doofus (laughs) he does he drives from cheyenne down here to denver Every single day for work, he doesn't really have to. He's oh, he, he he's does just a not total really mess. have to. He's cut this girl up there now. I mean, that's enough. Oh, we've just, gone far enough. It's, have I? Yeah, we have. Yeah, he doesn't listen anyway. All right, coming up, the <laughs> one city that thinks we should take to the sky to get around traffic, and someone else who thinks it's time to move on from the train. All that and more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Jason Grenauer, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. Something that I really looked forward to when I was coming to, to work here was uh, particularly our news director, Holly. I think that she is um, somebody who is um, eager for us to try to adapt and experiment and find out what works. She's eager to let us show our own personalities and find the stories that work best for us. Uh, no one's being forced into any one mold, and it's just, it's a, it's a fun work environment so far. Megan Lopez, only on Denver 7. Denver 7 is the only morning newscast you are guaranteed to get something new every day. Watch the other stations. You're going to see the same stuff. Same reporters out on the same stories. You watch us. We put more resources than any other station into bringing you new stories, relevant stories, new content, fun stories, interesting stories. And so that's my promise to you. If you watch us, you're going to see something you would not see on all those other guys. Nicole Brady, only on Denver 7. In the future, we'll be 
Welcome back to the world-famous and commuter-friendly Driving You Crazy podcast where we wish all the recent graduates good luck and Godspeed as you get out there and grab one of those ever-plentiful jobs in our bustling economy. Just do it in Connecticut because we're full here in Colorado. Or Delaware or Thanks Rhode for not coming. Thanks for not coming to Colorado. Maybe we should put that instead of welcome to Colorado or colorful Colorado, as you see on the signs out there on the eastern plains when you come into the state, uh, we should put, uh, thanks, we're full. Let's be honest. You see those signs on Instagram more than you see them coming into the state. That and people are were pulling over to, to steal the 420 mile marker sign over there on I-70, and they'd change it to 419.95. See, my wife didn't know the story of the people stealing the mile marker. She just noticed that it was 419.9 and wanted to know why, and so I explained. <laughs> there you go. If you've ever been caught in a closure of a highway behind, let's say, a major crash, a truck fire, where no traffic is able to get through, there's really not a whole lot of a- options for you to pass the time. If they don't turn you around and make you go the other way, if you're just stuck there until whatever is clogging up the road is cleared up, you, you, you've got to figure out some way to, to twiddle the thumbs, pass the time, right. wait, wait it out. One woman in the UK found one way to pass the time. She got out her blanket. She spread it out on the road and started catching some rays. That's right. She was sunbathing right there on the road in front of her car, as she waited for traffic to clear up. Bold decision. It Bold was decision. <laughs> it was much to the amusement of her fellow stranded travelers. Others, mostly women, thought that it looked like a great idea, and they joined in on the sunbathing activity right there. Right there on the highway, on their cars, on the road. I guess we have to call that the tan traffic jam. Okay. I... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she had enough time to get both sides and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. No, they were sitting there for three hours. Lord. Plenty of time. So we're no strangers to gondolas here in Colorado. Correct. I'm not talking about the boats that you get pushed along when you visit Venice or in Las Vegas in the Venice Hotel. They have those gondolas in there. Yes, sir. Now, I'm talking about these aerial gondolas, the ones that take skiers, for the most part, from the bottom of the mountain up to the top. You'll see them at Vail, Aspen, the big resorts. Well, a private company has put forward an intriguing idea to help baseball fans in Los Angeles avoid the bumper-to-bumper traffic jam outside of Dodger Stadium. A gondola that could carry passengers from Union Station all the way to the ballpark in just about five minutes. Now, the proposal, it's by a company called Aerial Rapid Transit Technologies, and it calls for the construction of roughly a $125 million tram that would carry 5,000 passengers an hour to and from the stadium. It would offer fans a fast, convenient alternative to driving or taking the shuttle bus or both because they both get stuck in uh, traffic trying to get to and from the stadium. They get clogged on the surface streets. The fare would be less than the price of a parking uh, space there at the stadium. So like $70. Was it, <laughs> well, they say it's currently 20 bucks, but you know around Coors Field, they're charging $20 at a minimum. Most right. of them is around $25, $30. Opening day, it was $100 now I mean, this year. They'll upcharge you for everything, man. Of course. And the gondola could also operate on non-game days as well. Now, the project would be entirely built with private dollars. That's the important part here. It's not public money. It's private money. And, in fact, the company said to L.A. City Council that there's not enough public dollars to actually solve the region's infamous traffic and travel problems, and it's going to take private investors and private ideas to help solve some of their traffic issues. Right. 
What a novel idea. Use private money to solve some of these issues. It's, it's really an in, intriguing idea, and I wonder if it's going to work. Is it really going to be safe, and is it going to be uh, as, as sufficient? Um, I mean, no. Absolutely not. How many people are actually going to – are you going to get 5,000 – you might get 5,000 people to ride a gondola to Dodger Stadium from Union Station, but that's 81 days a year, maybe a couple more if the Dodgers are good, and it's one route. I mean, do you even want that running in the off season? How many people are making that trip? That's what I was saying about the train idea from Denver up into the mountains because it is basically a train going to Breckenridge or going to then Aspen or Vale or whatever the case may be. It's mostly going up there for one specific activity, mm-hmm. skiing, in one specific time of year, winter. More traffic actually drives on I-70, on our I-70 mountain corridor. In the summertime, as people are trying to go camping, when you can't really take all of your camping gear on the train because you're not going to get an ATV on the train or your boat or your all that other I always forget stuff. how other people define camping. I was like, well, I could get a tent on a train. Well, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing it that simply. But most people want to drive their little camper or their fifth wheel or whatever. Yes. And take it and then actually camp it a little bit more comfort and style. Oh, more comfort and style. Or their, uh, or their motorcycles, nothing, that sort of thing. Nothing is more comforting and stylish than a sleeping bag on the cold, hard dirt. <laughs> that's, the word. that's why my wife won't do it at all, ever. <laughs> I mean, really, will it benefit all the people who use it as well as the people who build it? That's that's what I'm wondering. Is it efficient enough, cost efficient enough for the for the private company to, to put this thing forward? It's certainly neat, right? It's a cool gimmick. If you yeah. could sell it like the Ferris wheel or something like that in one of these major cities, then sure. But, I mean, don't try to fool us into thinking that it's a way to get people around the city legitimately. Regularly. But I could see it being a more legitimate option if it didn't just go from let's say a train station to a stadium like that if it went all around the city let's say in around denver instead of having a loop of a train of some sort you actually had the gondola going to these different stops las vegas would be a perfect place for this they tried to build that stupid train thing over the to monorail. the yeah the monorail thing on the east side of town which nobody is driving going over there it takes you from the convention center over to the east side of uh, the strip where, where there's nobody there anyway. The rare misfire from the city of Las Vegas. They, they really screwed that one up. But imagine if they had a gondola system that goes from all the way from Mandalay Bay past the Luxor over to um, MGM and then down the strip to Caesars and Treasure Island and all the way down to the stratosphere, maybe even all the way to downtown. How great would that be? I mean, and you have these little tram stops along the way because they have those elevated uh, parts of the uh, the walkways to get over the get over the strip. I don't like it. I'll be honest with you. People can just walk. Well, here's the problem with the walking. There's so many people walking in Las Vegas across the roadways, across the sidewalks, that the drivers can't get into these hotels anymore. They can't get in or out and drive because there's so many people walking and ignoring the stoplights. It's not that they can. It's that they have to wait. I mean, boo They do, and they are waiting, and they're waiting and waiting, and then the traffic on the strip backs up. And uh, on those busy days, it is almost impossible, unless you're driving on some of those back road areas around the strip. No, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying walk instead. <laughs> 
<laughs> Simple solution. If the walkers get precedent preference, I mean, let's just walk. But uh, I think this tram idea would be great for Las Vegas. How would the monorail work? Or not, not the monorail. The uh, gondolas work in Denver. Let's say you would have a gondola that goes up and down uh, some of the uh, areas that people want to go to. Let's say it starts or it has it, it has a loop. It's not just from point A to point B. Let's say it's a loop around the city. It goes from, let's say, Coors Field, has a stop at Union Station, has a stop at Pepsi Center, goes down Spear and stops over by the Convention Center, has a stop. It keeps looping around maybe down here by the uh, at 6th and Broadway. Good Lord, that's so much construction. But right? it's a gondola. You have the tower, and then you have it above ground. I mean, everything is above ground. All you need to do is build the towers and put up the cables, right? I, and have a big engine. I, I mean, I just imagine all these little pods flying overhead that I can look up at everywhere I go. Yeah, exactly. You could ride that for a couple of bucks. I mean, we don't even need to do that, man. We're going to have big old drone buses here in the not-too-distant future, and that'll just be the same idea. A drone bus? Yeah, a drone Ever bus. Ever driven one of those in the snow? <laughs> Obviously, gondolas can go in the snow. No, I mean like a flying drone bus. Oh, I know. But you can't fly those things in the snow when downtown Denver. It snows here occasionally. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Oh, my goodness. You know, they have a, they, they, because they, they're going to be putting in one of these trams to, for people to go see the Hollywood sign. I think the trams oh, are, are a great idea. That's what we're going to see. All trams everywhere. It'll make it easier for tra- for travelers instead of trying to hike that that trail up to the Hollywood sign to go see it. Right? Bold prediction, man! All trams everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And well, and we can't forget about Elon Musk and his little boring company that wants to build a network of tunnels that would whisk cars and pods and people and cycles and everything else in the uh, in around Los Angeles under their congested highways. Uh, the company's already said the system would be privately funded. It would offer fares comparable to public transit. That's a decent idea. Now, unfortunately, they live in earthquake country, which is inherently dangerous to build a tunnel and have an earthquake. That's terrifying. Now, while most transportation projects in recent decades have been developed and funded with taxpayer dollars, it wasn't always the case. I mean, most of the nation's first mass transit lines were actually built by private companies. Times have changed and modes of travel evolved and the innovators soon got left behind the streetcar fell out of favor as more people own cars it leads me really into this because this week i came across a story in the hill it's by randall o'toole and randall is the director of the transportation policy center at the independence institute that's right here in denver and his piece is titled mass transit is collapsing everywhere and i saw another story recently about how the city of nashville has rejected all of their tax proposals to build a big mass transit uh, train network there in Nashville. Right. Because they just don't want to have all that money outlaid for their for that train system. Right. It would be better spent in my pocket where I can buy a car. Exactly. Now, I thought this piece in The Hill was very interesting. The story reads, nationwide transit ridership in March of 2018 was 5.9% below March of 2017. That's according to the latest data published by the Federal Transit Administration. Following three years of steady declines, these numbers present a dire picture of the nation's transit industry. Ridership declined in all of the nation's 38 largest urban areas, and the 39th Providence gained only 0.1% new riders. Transit systems in Austin, Boston, Charlotte, Cleveland, Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, San Diego, and Tampa St. Pete 
all suffered double-digit declines, with Austin losing 19.5% and Charlotte 15.4%, despite being two of the fastest-growing urban areas in the nation. Data from 2017 showed that ridership in Seattle and Houston grew from 2016, providing hope to transit advocates that other regions could reverse ridership declines if they emulated the examples of those two cities. But transit systems in both Seattle and Houston lost riders in March 2017. A recent article in Bloomberg claimed that the decline in ridership is confined to buses, implying that cities can reverse the decline by building expensive rail transit systems. But the March data shows all major forms of transit are declining. Buses, commuter rail, light rail, and heavy rail, all of which we have right here in Denver. Cities that have spent billions of dollars on rail transit have not been immune from the decline. Charlotte won new rail riders by opening a new light rail line in March, but it lost two and a half bus riders for every rail rider it gained. Denver also lost about two and a half bus riders for every new rail rider. Dallas, Los Angeles, Salt Lake, and several other regions both lost rail and bus riders. Denver area voters agreed in 2004 to spend billions in building new rail transit lines, and the region has opened several lines since then. Yet, by 2016, transit carried only about 10,000 more the urban area's commuters to work than it did in the year 2000, while nearly 280,000 more commuters drove to work. I mean, it, it speaks to the growth in general, right? But also, this rail system is not... In an, I mean, can it possibly be in enough places to keep up with growth, which is with as slowly as it's being built? Well, it there have been some problems with with the with the rail lines here in Metro Denver. However, it's still a problem where people they do like to ride the train more than the bus. Yes. However, the trains still won't take you everywhere you need to get to. You still have to deal with the last mile first mile problem. Exactly. We've talked about it a lot. Yes, we have. Whether you walk or you bike or you Uber or you whatever. You still have that problem, and there's still people that would rather deal with, even though your traffic jam is going to cause you some delays, it's still going to be more convenient than taking the bus and the trains. Absolutely. So this article in The Hill by Randy O'Toole continues, Transit apologists offer many excuses for ridership declines, such as low gas prices and crumbling infrastructure, but gas prices were 10% higher in March 2018 then March 2017, and ridership is declining even in areas with brand new transit infrastructure. The fundamental problem is that big box transit, moving people in 60 passenger buses, 450 passenger light rail trains, or 1,500 passenger heavy rail or commuter rail lines, no longer works in American cities. Such transit made sense a century ago when most jobs were in downtown surrounded by dense residential areas. But today, only New York City comes close to looking like that. Modern urban areas have far more jobs scattered across the suburbs than concentrated into downtowns. Job location is only one of many factors people consider when deciding where to live. The result is jobs, residences, retail, schools, and other activity centers are widely dispersed. We have that all around Metro Denver. Absolutely. There's so many different... In some cities, they would be community centers, right? But here, they're just another island in the, in the city that happens to have all of the things you just listed. Exactly. The article continues. The number of transit trips taken by the average urban resident declined from nearly 300 in 1918 to about 60 
1964 when Congress began offering federal subsidies to transit. Since then, federal, state, and local governments have spent more than $1.1 trillion on transit subsidies, yet trips per urban resident have fallen to about 38 in 2017. According to the 2016 American Community Survey, just 4.3% of American workers live in households without cars, and 58% of them don't rely on transit to get to work. Transit doesn't even work for people who don't have cars, much less it is able to compete for the business of most of those who do. Some propose to redesign American cities to serve obsolete transit systems, forcing more jobs downtown, building high-density transit-oriented developments in transit corridors, and turning highway and street lanes into dedicated bus lanes. Yet huge changes in urban form are needed to get a small change in transit usage, and the benefits are trivial. Transit isn't particularly green, using more energy and producing more greenhouse gases per mile than the average car. Seattle has done the most to reshape itself into an early 20th century city, Draconian land use policies and tax subsidies increased the city's population density by 25% since 2000 and increased the number of downtown jobs from 215,000 in 2010 to 281,000 in 2017. These policies came at a terrible price. Housing is no longer affordable and traffic is practically gridlocked. That in Seattle. The urban area gained 58,000 transit commuters since 2000, but it also gained 190,000 auto commuters. It's time to stop thinking that transit is somehow morally superior to driving and that it deserves the $50 billion in subsidies that it receives every year. Ending the subsidies would lead to a variety of private transit alternatives where people will use them and allow cities to concentrate on relieving congestion and making roads safer and cleaner for everyone else. I mean, it's 100% accurate, and it is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, how much money we spend on buses and trains compared to how many people actually use them, and how indirectly the people whose tax dollars pay for those things are rewarded for paying for those things. Right. To, to the point of the article, 4.3, I mean, we're talking about 2% of people total who use transit, and none of those people have cars. Nope. We are thinking about transit maybe and moving people in the wrong ways by the way that was from randall o'toole the director of transportation policy center at the independence institute here in denver he's also the author of the forthcoming book romance of the rails why the passenger trains we love are not the transportation we need it, it reminded me of this every morning just about every morning when i show up to work here at three thirty, i hear that blaring sound of the freight train rolling through downtown denver i heard it again this morning every time i i hear it I'm thinking to myself, because if I talk to myself out loud, um, the homeless guy just outside the fence would think I'm weird. Yep. So I think to myself, uh, this is why we'll never live like they do on the Jetsons or Star Trek or Star Wars, any of those sci-fi shows that detail what life would be like in the future. How can we go from here, this world now, to our future world when we're basically living in a in in an era where we still have freight trains rolling through downtown Denver like it's 1912. I, I that's why I think the hyperloop is such a a revolutionary idea because if it ever comes to online it would be revolutionary for the way we trans transit um freight. Mm-hmm. And get freight 
moving around the country. Oh, absolutely. But we've talked about this. The, America doesn't have the money for the Hyperloop. Realistically, it's going to no, have to come from private development, but more likely is that it's going to be built somewhere else first and eventually we'll get it here, just like with the bullet trains that you see in, in the Asian countries. Now, now, trains are a good way for right now to move freight from one part of the country to another, to move coal from one part of the country to another, to do that sort of thing. There's a lot of cars that get moved around um, that way. Right. We see also see a lot of trucking companies and trucks and that sort of thing moving freight. That's why Hyperloop would revolutionize all of that. But moving people from place to place, that is is where I think the train idea has really failed, at least up to this point. But we do love them so much. Well, it's that romance of the old style trains. Yeah. Of the Orient Express. You know, yes. it's just not the way we live anymore. It's just not. And so maybe, they, I mean, I, I think Randall makes some good points. And and uh, what we're going to transition to? We'll fly, see. Flying buses. And finally, when, when you buy a new car, typically the dream is that you'll be driving around for at least a few years, right? If you're really lucky, you might even still have it. It might be in good enough shape down the line to pass it down to your kids when you're ready for something new. Now, the website IC Cars recently did a study to see which car people were still holding on to after 15 years of owning them. Even though American cars are getting better, 14 of the top 15 are Japanese car with one single German vehicle creeping into the number 15 spot. So here, Joseph, is the rundown of the top 15 cars people will still own after 15 years. Like a top 10 list, we will read them in reverse order. Number 15, the Volkswagen Golf, that German car. 14, the Nissan Frontier. It's a pickup truck. The Subaru Forester, Toyota Camry, the Acura MDX, and number 10, the Toyota Avalon. Number 9, the Honda CRV. The first real surprise of the list. The, the CRV seems like a CR waste of money. The Hidalgo's still driving one. It's all really? beat up like crazy, but she's still it's still going. Interesting. Uh, the number eight, Toyota Tacoma, then the Toyota Sequoia, the Honda Odyssey at number six. The, I've heard good things about the Odyssey. I still can't bring myself to buying a minivan. Right. Number five, the Toyota RAV4, the Toyota Prius, the Toyota Tundra, the Toyota Sienna, and number one, the Toyota Highlander. The wow. top five are all Toyotas. Wow. Really, if you look at it, eight Toyotas in the top ten. It's really remarkable. So when you're looking at what cars you want to buy and keep for a long time, maybe it's a Toyota. Because apparently they know how to do that. Except for the airbags. That was a Takata thing. Okay. Not a Toyota thing. (laughs) If you're curious about IC cars like I was, apparently it's a car search engine. The kayak.com for people in the market to buy a car. Well, at least so says ABC News. Oh. They aggregate all the listings of used cars for sale into one site, making it easier, they say, and much less time-consuming for people to find the best deals and save money. I've never used it. It might be great. I don't need to use it right now. I mean, not when Auto Trader's out there, Kelly Blue Book's out there. Like, you, yeah. don't, you don't, who needs another website? We live in the instant gratification world, right? I mean, that's, we want everything done right now, right here. And, and since I don't want this to use this website right here and right now... Um, I'll probably forget about it after this podcast is over. Sorry, iccars.com, but please pay us to sponsor the podcast. And speaking of that, gratification is now over because the podcast is now over. (laughs) Remember, we're in touch, so you be in touch. Oh, wait a minute. Wasn't that a a 2020 line? 
Uh, is it? I don't know. <laughs> Hugh Downs over I, here? I remember. Yeah, it was Hugh Downs. That's right. Him or John Stossel, one of the two. Anyway, thanks again for listening, being here and part of the show. We always like to hear back from you. I've heard from some listeners recently on the uh, Driving You Crazy podcast Gmail account, yeah. which is nice, uh, and occasionally on the Twitter as well, at Denver7Traffic. And at Joseph Denver 7 And until next time, thanks for listening, and I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I am passenger train romanticist Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.